This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Today is International Women's Day, a perfect time to take a look at female participation in politics. According to the Election Commission for the for Malaysia's 15th general election, there were actually slightly more women than male voters. Yet only 15% of elected representatives are women. We speak to Datuk Sri Azalina Dat- Ohman, Minister in the Prime Minister's Department for Law and Institutional Reform and of course MP for Pengerang on how we can encourage the full and active participation of women in politics and also policy making. Good morning Datuk Sri, thank you for joining us on The Breakfast Grill. Datuk Sri, slightly more than 100 days into this administration, your thoughts on working with what used to be foes sitting on the same side of the August House, is it all very strange? No, I think for me personally, it's a different journey because of the fact I became a deputy speaker, if you recall, becoming an empire in the people's house. So that sort of uh, gave me a lot of uh, continued uh, dialogues, conversation, and relationship. And of course, chairing the... After that, when I resigned as the deputy speaker, I became the chair for the uh, women... No, when I was the deputy speaker, also the chair for the women uh, select committee on women and children and, and human rights. So the relationship was an continuously an ongoing relationship. So I don't have fear uh, when it comes to opposition parties because I've been always working with them. Uh, I think it's a new thing for even for the state government as of now. You can see the the how the coalition government is being formed, and, and I think this will be the future of Malaysia. Great, we seem to have progress, but women representation, I think less so. We seem to have made less strides in that department because only fifteen percent of MPs are women and only five ministers in cabinet. Is this because there really is a lack of women candidates out there or is it internal party politics which are male-dominated? Well, I think to be very honest, you're looking at 40 women MPs uh, in parliament and we have got in the Dewan Negara senators, we've got 10 women senators. Mm. I don't know whether it's a, it's a more of a, of a cultural thing or the political party itself. Uh, because at the end of the day, when you offer a candidate to win a seat, it must be the best candidate of your choice of the party, right? Well, unless you have a women's political party uh, that runs in all the 222 seats, you know, that would be a different uh, dimension. But from any political party, it doesn't matter whichever political party there is, uh, there is no uh, stringent requirement on a legal requirement or as an act of law that says there must be a 30% women participation. You don't even have that in the constitution, right? So, of course, uh, everybody feels that they are a better candidate. And when you say you are a better candidate for the state seat or the federal seat, of course, you have to negotiate with the party because, as I said earlier, it's a, it's a political party seat. So the party will do their own uh, calculation and measurement. And if they believe that this personality fits in, so they offer that personality. As long as there's no law, uh, there's no uh, force clauses in the even constitution, you can't expect the numbers to come in. Just like that. So should we change the law? Should parties actually make it part of their constitution? Because even back in 1998, um, this is of course under the Barisan National Government, they made the promise for 30% of women candidates. And I'll be 
honest, every political party, you know, comes up with their own promise. Uh, Pakatan Harapan came up with a 30% promise too, but yet no party has kept to that. So what can we do to change that trajectory and encourage more women participation at all levels of politics, be it at state government or federal level? Uh, to be very honest, I can't really blame political parties. Mm. I only see that it is the voters that you're responding to. It's just that when you are, you're doing sales and you're selling a product, of course you read how the consumers, the needs of the consumers or the value system of the consumers. So when you sell a new product, you have to test it out. I think for my party, and of course we were prepared for 30%, but the fact that uh, we came from uh, PRU 14 of a different relationship with Prikata National, and then we ran into independently uh, on the 15th January election. Uh, of course, at that, at, at that junction, to get the best person to win, it depends very much on the parliamentary seat or the state seat. Who do they think is the best candidate? Just to put on the sake of the percentage itself, I think it depends very much on the, on the political party, on their evaluation. But if you ask me this question, well, should we have the law? Uh, should we put them in? Mm. I think before I answer that question, what is important is to have uh, a proper training system for women if they want to go into politics, for example. Mm. Uh, to have a training system, a mentoring system. Uh, if you, it's not just about numbers or having a quota system. I think coming up with the best, uh, the best person for the job, the quality itself. But, you know, Dr. Sri, when I look back at Malaysian politics and I'll, I'll look back to the most recent outcome of GE15 and that's when I saw photos of the top brass from AMNO, DAP, PKR, AMANA, Warisan, they were all seated in a room negotiating to form the unity government. But what I noticed from that was, Datu Sri, there was not a single woman in that picture. So it reminded me that men still decide the political future of Malaysia despite the fact that we make up more than 50% of voters. But how does that make you feel as a, as a veteran politician though? Well, I, you know, honestly, I think to be very, very honest, uh, those in that room are all head of that political party there. Uh, if you talk of behind the scene of women participation, I don't know other political parties, but as far as my party is concerned, Marisa National, mm. I have been a constant voice on, on anti-hopping law in my party. I've been a big voice on the role and representation of candidates. So, of course, the selection is done by the top leaders. But, but it, it's a chicken and egg situation because the way, it, for example, if you talk about certain women's, uh, women's wing in, in Amno, for example, I mean, that's basically how they argue or they present that this is what they need, a women representation on certain seats. So that is their, the duty of care of that political party or that, that the wing itself, the women's wing. Mm. But as far as any party is concerned, whoever brings in and says, well, this is the best candidate, but then you're right because sometimes certain men that they put forward lost. Mm. Let's take on the flip side, uh, where there was a candidate who ran in a seat which was uh, inherited from the family and, and she went in. She was very well known. She's been there for many election terms, but she lost. But the challenge I faced, for example, when I was running for election, I've been a member of parliament for almost, what, almost since 2004. Uh, the candidate who fought me at this last election used a gender argument. Oh, a woman cannot be a member of parliament. A woman cannot be a leader. So they used that argument. Well, the voters there who knows me for 20 over years accepted me and said, well, we know Azalina. But what about if it's I'm a new candidate? Dr. Sri, you're running for vice president in a very crowded race. I think at last count, seven candidates. Only three, of course, will make it. You're already making history by being the first woman um, name in the VP race. Why have you decided to run for this position, though? I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough one. Well, before I answer that, my question to you now is that will you ask that question to a man? 
Yes, it's true. There is some gender bias, of, obviously. Because, because but you are say, making history. Yeah, yeah. But I always get that. Well, mm. you're the first woman. You're this, you're that. Unfortunately, you are the first woman. We would like it not to be the case, but you are. But you know very well, my party has got very strong women personality as leaders. We have got Rafida Aziz, Sharizat, we've got Noraini, and then before the history of Amno itself, there so many women leaders. But none have people. raised, have none have put their head into the ring to be a VP. Well, may, maybe at that time they didn't think that it was the right time to offer themselves. But as of now, for me, I offer myself because I think with this election outcome of PRU 15, I think the party has realized that the voters are looking for for not personalities, but the value you add on to a political party. Because as I mentioned earlier, I said, well, you know, you talk about younger voters uh, or younger voters who are from Amno family, would they continue to support Barisan National and Amno? I'm not sure about that. Mm. So you have to come and give them confidence that, well, these are the leaders that we're putting up. These are leaders that we want to bring in for the party, for the PRU 16, with the changes that we want to put in, the value system. Well, if a political party as conservative as Amno, which is right, right party, uh, it's centre-right and it's 1946 and now in 2023, the party is accepting, well, maybe it's time to have a woman vice president. Then maybe the voters out there say, well, this party is not so bad as compared to other political parties that put women in certain positions and women cannot go over and above or beyond certain value system. Now, if the voters want such political party to continue to lead them for the younger generation, then I think that, you know, these are extremism parties, extremists. Mm. But it's up to the voters. The voters may want it. The voters may not want it. But as far as we are concerned, my party, with this unity government, with the Prime Minister, Dato' Sri Anwar Ibrahim, we're trying to put a lot of fairness out there. Okay. And I think it's a good start. It's a good start for my party, being centre-right. And, and you know, not so right-right, very extremist, but centre-right. So this is a good change. So, Dato' Sri, what is the platform you're running on? Are you for change and reform for a party like you said that you know, didn't do very well at uh, GE15. Some would say disastrously badly. Well, I think my party must accept that, you know, there are certain expectations of change uh, in the sense of the way things are being being done. And you must also know that uh, from, for the party being an old party of 1946, for it to continue in the next uh, 16 general election, uh, how we look at things and how we move forward, uh, and the fact that we, the values that we are looking at, uh, say for example, I, I quote you an example about say on issues of of uh, citizenship. For example, I give you an issue. I mean, the last uh, election, uh, my party's uh, manifesto they spoke about citizenship, which I think for you, few, for the last few elections, you will never hear my party speaking of it, but now they are. So if I'm offering myself as the vice president for my political party. My offer to the table is the fact that we will continue with this change. Uh, my offer is about bringing in more younger people, or especially women, uh, to come up with a uh, uh, training academy, uh, mentoring. I mean, there's a lot of things that we need to do. But one of the things that I really, uh, I really find, uh, which is extremely personal to me, is that I believe that my party, since independence until now, has brought in a lot of progress for the country. So we need to continue to give that confidence to the voters that even the though, new set of leadership. Even though you've been right? rejected at the last GE15, based, just based on the outcome though. Well, I think to respond on the rejection, you know very well that some party had financial capacity and were using uh, social media tremendously creative. 
and going on badgering personalities that has been offered by other political party, badgering their character, character assassination. You know, they 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 offer uh, certain formulas. But my party has been very consistent. Uh, we are a coalition government within Barisan National. Uh, we offer certain candidates and we've been serving there. But of course, you cannot deny my, my party is an old party. Mm. It's a 1946 party. Now, going into 20, uh, 2023, well, of course, the party is looking to uh, many more new faces coming in. Of course, the party election is to bring in new faces. New faces in certain new positions. I mean, that's basically how we're looking at but uh, but the fact that I think if you read the news for the past few weeks, surprisingly for a party, as you have quoted, didn't do so well for the general election. This particular election, we have so many candidates coming in for the party election. Why are people still offering themselves if they believe that my party is quite redundant or very old or not, not performing? But a lot of young faces are coming in offering themselves. But Dr. Sui, at the same time, the party itself has also rejected some of these new faces, younger leaders, right, with the subsequent expulsion and suspension of the likes of Kairi Jamaluddin and Sharul Hamdan. So there seems to be a push and pull. Well, really, is the party ready to reinvent itself? Well, I think for me, uh, I can't really comment on that because I'm not part of the disciplinary committee. You know, I wouldn't know the grounds. But for me, but I cannot say that because of one incident to say that it's a reflection of my party. Uh, in total, I don't see it like that. Uh, that may be a certain uh, exception to the rule. I wouldn't know because I don't know the facts. But at the end of the day, I believe, uh, as of now with this party election, uh, I do see new faces offering themselves, even for the post of the Supreme Council, the post of the Women's Wing, the Putri Swing, a lot of new faces. I see it as something positive. So, Dasushi, how do you rank your chances? Um in terms of winning a, a, the vice presidency uh, post. And is this a position, a stepping stone for being president of the party one day? Because many VPs have gone on to, to become uh, president of the party. No, lah. I, I, I don't see that far, nor am I that ambitious. But at the end of the day, I think it's up to the members. So how far does the AMNO member since 1946 yeah. wants to see change? Are they ready for change? Now, if I don't get in for whatever reason, then maybe... Maybe the question that you put since the beginning about gender representation or gender equality, I mean, maybe the party is not ready yet. I don't know. But at the end of the day, if I do get in, maybe the party is ready for change. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is Dato Sri Azalina Dato Ofman, Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. When we come back from the break, what are the priorities of her ministry and will we ever see a female Prime Minister in Malaysia? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill, where in the hot seat is Datuk Sri Azalina Datuk Othman, Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. Before the break, how can we encourage more women in politics and policy making? Datuk Sri, let's talk about your priorities as the Law and Institutional Reform Minister. I mean, kudos for pushing Citizenship Bill, but is next on the agenda the separation of duties between the Attorney General and Public Prosecutor Office? Yeah, of course, because I think for us, uh, we have to do a proper study on that. And when you look into all the the, the, the studies, uh, we are waiting for the RCI. Once the RCI, the Royal Commission mm. of Inquiry, has been approved by the cabinet, we will look into the separation as part of the terms of reference. Uh, you must also know that there are numerous layers of protocol and clearances of the Legal Affairs Division. And one of the challenges, I think, is the fact that uh, the members of the uh, Attorney General's Chambers uh, on the separation itself. The same thing as, I think, if you if you recall, the Parliament is talking about the Parliament Services Act. 
Now, the parliament services act is to have the employees of the parliament not to be really from the government pool, but to be a specialized pool that only serves the parliament. So if you look down into some of the employees of the parliament, the staff of the parliament, they don't really want a total separation. They want to be part of the main government. So these are the kind of studies or continuous challenges that we are looking at. As I mentioned on the levels of protocol and clearances. Yeah. And the challenges is, is not only on the, on the policy itself, but also on the procedure and the processes of such change. So once we, get, we have a buy-in from the RCI, we have to do a thorough study on this because, uh, of course, you cannot deny the fact that uh, when you talk about the Attorney General, uh, he himself has got a huge amount of immunity. And, and you talk about in some Commonwealth countries that is quite similar to us. The Attorney General is seen to be a total separate animal from the public prosecutor. So basically, the Solicitor General is the public prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So these are really thorough studies that we are looking at. And, and if we can get this within these five years, it will be good progress for our country. But of course, slowly but surely. Okay, interestingly, Datus, you also read that your intention uh, during your time as Minister of Law is to reinstate the rights to the vulnerable, marginalised and those not treated equally in our nation. Great. But in the past, the ability to pass legislation to counter this was stymied by politics. So does this unity government give Malaysia a chance to change some of the archaic laws that we have? You know, Shaoning, the, the best part of this unity government is that these are political parties in government that has been continuously speak about reform. You know that very well. Yes. Whichever general election, whichever personality... But there's been, been very by, little positive outcome. Lots of yeah. talk, but not much legislation. Yeah. But you must also remember to amend the laws. You need the processes. Now, the first sitting that we have this year is about the budget. So we only got uh, less than a few days to amend certain laws. Of course, we have to go priority, which is the most... Uh, for, 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 the, uh, for the legal division, myself being the minister in charge of law and, uh, and uh, institutional reform, of course, the mandatory death sentence is, is one of the top priorities. We have to amend that. Mm. We have to amend so that our policy on death sentence is 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 changing, and we have to explain. Uh, for and then the second one that we're looking at is into the sexual offences against children, because there's so many cases of children being victimized because of the system, or the system has a bit loose end over here. So we're doing that because you know, being being a democratic country, you have the executive to bring it to parliament. The parliament is a low house and upper house that takes time, and we don't sit like uh, hundred over than hundred fifty days a year. We sit less than hundred days a year. So these are things that we're looking at because we need to have more sitting to make more laws. But what I'm trying to explain to you is that for the cabinet to approve any policy change on amendments of arcade law, the representation in cabinet comes from political party and this unity government comes from a party that has been continuously voicing of reform and change. Mm. Now, that is a good start. If you're talking about uh, the previous government, for example, would they be talking about certain uh, changes? They talk about citizenship. How far did they bring the citizenship amendment, say, for example? So this is, uh, this is why, for me, uh, to get the buy-in is very important from the political party. Then when we bring in the amendments and we speak to the MPs and we explain to the MPs, they will then take it to the vo uh, voters on the ground in their constituency to explain why the government is looking for such change. So, Dasushi, what else is on your priority list? Because there's a long list of reforms that civil society want, right? From political financing bill, we've mentioned this parliamentary services bill, repeal of Sedition Act, Official Secrets Act, SOSMA, 
what's next? You mentioned mandatory death sentence. Yeah, I think uh, for the government, even for me personally, there's a lot of things we need to look at. Uh, say, for example, I give you a situation of the Contract Act, uh, which came out in the 1950s. We have to reform the Contract Act. There's so many things that we have to reform because our laws, not that they are archaic, but they are all before independence. Yeah, so is it just a question of having too little time to amend all this or is it just the realities of being in power mean a lot more compromises and delays then? No, I think you have to come with the, uh, the premise of good faith mm. or bona fide. I think if the Rakyat has voted for this government to continue to run the country for five years, so the Rakyat must support this government to deliver the change. For me to deliver the change, for example, in reference to legal reform, I have to go back to parliament. And going back to parliament is whereby the Rakyat must pressure their members of parliament from both sides of the house by telling them, please do this change, please do that change. Because the members of parliament, even though they are representing their political party, they will also have to hear the voices of the voters on the ground, the Rakyat. If the Rakyat emphasize the citizenship law continuously, regardless of whichever part of the state, maybe from the most conservative state in Malaysia, continuously badger their members of parliament for change, then you will see the change to come in fast. But if I bring such amendment on the floor for a constitutional amendment, I need 148 votes. Suddenly, the members of parliament are objecting to it. Oh, we don't agree. Oh, the women in Malaysia are going to marry foreigners and, and Malaysian men are not going to be laku. You know, for example, lah, some very conservative thinking. They don't know the citizenship amendment is about the children. It's not about the women. It's about the children being it's fair a, to the kids out there. It's also about giving equal rights to men and women. Yeah, but the concept of equality. So the rakyat must pressure their members of parliament. It's not just a political party pressure. The voters must have a say. The problem with our, our voters sometimes is that they expect the members of parliament or the government to do so many changes. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Fine, no problem. But they must also support the change. Uh, but that's true. I look at your political career with interest. Uh, you've been Minister of Youth and Sports, Minister of Tourism, Deputy Speaker, Special Advisor to the PM on Law and Human Rights, and now Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. Correct me if I'm wrong, you served under four Prime Ministers whilst being MP for Pengerang. Quite the survivor, Datu Sri. Not an easy journey, but on International Women's Day, what do you say to, to girls who aspire to be involved in politics? Well, I, I, I always believe that, that uh, you know, uh, it's, not, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy position to be different, you know, to, to, to take a stand, uh, to, to, to stand up, to have an opinion. Uh, people may not like what you stand for. How many people can stand up there and not be affected by views or by criticism? So, most important thing for you is that if you believe in something, you must have a coping mechanism. You must believe in it. You must believe in yourself first. And it's not an easy journey. Not only talk about a politician, any professional, a, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, a teacher, talk about any profession, a radio presenter, journalist, there's so many challenges. Now you have your life, your family, your commitment, your duty. There's so many things you have to do. But this is what being alive is all about. Not every day is going to be fantastic. There will be certain days you're up, certain days you're down. But you have to always believe that you can make a difference or you can make a change. And that is the legacy that I want to leave. When I leave this world, 
you mentioned the name Azalina. I have been able to bring in all the changes so that the women in this country knows that if Azalina can do it, there's so many other young Azalinas out there who can also do a better job. So never be afraid. Take risks in life. That's my rule. <laughs> and Dr. Sri, do you think Malaysia will ever have a female prime minister in our lifetimes? I think you should ask the right yet. Are they ready? <laughs> it is the people that has to make the decision what they want. On that note, thank you for your time. On the Breakfast Grill to celebrate International Women's Day was Datuk Sri Azalina Datuk Ofman, Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. I'm Wong Shaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.